Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that we're thankful that you have come our way to spend these moments of giving praise to God uh, with us. I must apologize to at least to some degree for our congregation in that this virus has made us less friendly than we normally would be simply out of some caution there. But let us, we just want to assure you that we are happy that you are here with us and that uh, you've made our day brighter because of your presence with us. So thank you. For those of you who are at home and online uh, streaming, we're glad that you're here with us in spirit as, as well. Before I get into the lesson, let me just make the congregation aware of some upcoming events that are right around the corner. Uh, actually, beginning next weekend, Joe Wells is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking to our young adults and young families about the world in which we live in. That's going to be followed up pretty directly in September with our ladies' retreat, and Lenora Williams is going to be here speaking. So, ladies, you might want to uh, take note of that. And then in um, September 24th and 25th, Joe Wells is going to be with us, uh, and he's going to be speaking to the uh, men's group. And so he's going to be talking about being, I'm not Joe Wells, uh, Scott Keel. He's from Broken Arrow, uh, Oklahoma, and he's going to be with us. And he was here, oh, a number of years back and did such a fantastic job that we decided to invite him back. And so, guys, you might want to set that time aside so that you can remember to be a part of that. So in our ongoing series, I've been sharing with you lessons about the king and his kingdom. And last week, I added to that series the kingdom parables. The kingdom parables are really a central focus when it comes down to what the kingdom really is about. You recall that John the Baptist, as well as Jesus himself, as he began his ministry, they came preaching that the kingdom of heaven uh, was directly at hand. And then, of course, Jesus began to teach more about the kingdom, and one of the central areas of the, his discussion about the kingdom were parables. You might recall that I mentioned to you out of Matthew, the 13th chapter, that some 13, par or 13 chapter, the, probably the most concentrated area of kingdom parables are found in that chapter alone. And in those chapters, we, are, we discover what is known as the secrets of the, the kingdom. And so the kingdom parables are all about how one is to conduct their lives and how we are to live in the kingdom in which we find ourselves living. Now, as we look at the kingdom parables, you might notice that the very first parable that Jesus deals with is what is called the parable of the sower. It begins in chapter 13, verse 1, and all the way to verse 23. Some have called this the parable of the hearer or the parable of the heart. All three fit in well with it because it really does identify some important avenues of what this kingdom really is about. And so this morning, I want to share with you the very first parable that Jesus speaks about concerning the kingdom itself. Before I do it, though, let me just kind of remind you of what a parable is. A parable is just a simple story that's taken from everyday life that teaches or illustrates something that is of a spiritual or moral lesson. Sometimes it's been called an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or with a spiritual uh, meaning, and that's what the parables center around. And that's why they become per, per, uh, perfect examples of how to live in the kingdom. So what is the purpose of a, a parable? Well, as you look at Matthew, the 13th chapter, if you'll open your Bible to that section, if you haven't already, I want you to notice what he says down in verse 11. The disciples are coming to Jesus, and they're asking, why are you speaking in parables? And so Jesus tells them in verse 11, he said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries or the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So the purpose of the parable was to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. 
how we are to live our, our lives. It's about how you know, we receive the kingdom and how we live into the kingdom and the expectations of the kingdom. Some of it is some really great stuff. Some of it is dire warnings that Jesus gives who has spoken through the parables themselves. But the thing that I think steps out here when you first read this first part of the, the first parable of the sower is that it becomes a foundational to receiving the kingdom. It becomes an important part. And so you have the parable of the sower. When you think about the parable of the sower, it, it really is really... Uh, you, you look at it, and it doesn't seem to be all that super significant. It's just kind of simple, everyday kind of occurrence. You have a farmer that is going out into his field. The farmer is sowing or spreading the seed around. And that seed, it falls on four different types of soil. And each soil reacts to the seed in a, a different way. So that really is what it is about there as Jesus begins speaking of parables, he, he's making almost a change. In fact, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, there is almost a shift with Jesus and his ministry because up to this time, he's been speaking to almost the religious elite, if you will, the, the religious leaders in the synagogues. But now he's taking his message out of the synagogues and he's taking it into the open air. And now he's speaking to the common everyday person who is listening to his teaching and gathering around him. In this case, he is by the Sea of Galilee. The multitudes begin to gather around him, and so he gets into a boat, and he launches just a small ways out, and then he begins speaking to the shore to these people about this parable and the significance of the parable itself. What I want to do is I want to do just kind of a review of the parable, and then a little bit later we'll talk about the meaning of the parable. Remember, Dave read to us out of Matthew, the 13th chapter, and he read down verses 1 through 9. And so verses 1 through 9, it really does kind of give you the parable in itself in a nutshell. And so it begins by talking about some seed that falls upon a path. The path is hard panned, and it says that the, the seed is not able to take any root. It's not able to penetrate the path. In fact, it says that the birds come along and, and snatch it up, and so there is no fruit because of where that seed lands. And then in verses 5 and 6, he talks about a seed that falls upon a rocky soil. And the rocky soil there represents a soil that is very, you know, the, the upper soil is, is very uh, small or very thin, and the result of that is, is that the seed itself is not able to put down uh, deep roots it puts down very shallow roots and when the the sun comes along it scorches it and it says that the plant uh, dies and then he talks about verses six verse seven that some of the seed it fell upon thorny soil or weedy soil and the seed it starts to put down its root but the weeds are in competition with it and the weeds are so strong that eventually the weeds and the thorns themselves they choke out that plant and that plant then dies and then you have verse 8, and that is the good soil. And with the good soil, at the harvest time, Jesus says that, you know, the, the seed produces a fruit. It, it varies in degree. Some of it comes out 100%. Some of it is 60, and then some is 30%. So fruit is being bore there in terms of that parable itself. So when you think about the kingdom parables, it's important, I think, to really look at verse 9 in this section because it's really a key to understand what the parable is about. If you look at your text, it says, No, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
we know something now is important going to happen. This is a, a clue for, for us that more is, is being talked about here than is just on the surface of things. There is a depth of meaning that Jesus is trying to articulate, that he's trying to get across to those who are listening, that's going to be important to their lives and, and how it's going to be important to how they are receptive to the kingdom and what it means to them and how they are to react or to respond to the kingdom it, itself. And the reason is, is because not all people hear the word of, of God the same, and some don't even really hear. I mean, they hear it with the ears, but they don't hear it. They're much like sometimes the hard panned surface or ground that the seed falls on and just bounces off. Or it could be that it has just a kind of shallow kind of reaction. Or maybe it has a good reaction, but there's too many cares of the world that, that seem to squelch it down. And then, there, of course, there is the good seed. The idea then is that the seed is going to be cast in the parable and it's going to fall on different kinds of ears which means it's going to fall on different kinds of hearts and some will be willing to allow the the seed to penetrate into their hearts and into the, their, their minds and a change is going to take place but there are going to be those where no change at all takes place whatsoever for instance when you think about how people receive the word i thought about uh, William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a, he, he's an Englishman. Uh, in his day, he was a believer. He strove to, to follow after God. Probably what you know about Wilberforce is, is the fact that he was central to ending slavery in England in the 1700s. In fact, there was a movie that was written about it that's a great movie called Amazing Grace. If you hadn't seen it, you ought to see it. It's, it's really a, a great movie about faith and, and, and taking your faith and putting it into action. Well, Wilberforce also served as a part of the parliament. So he sat in parliament. And one of his good friends in the parliament was a fellow by the name of William Pitt. William Pitt was an incredible person, a very intelligent man. William Pitt was the prime minister of England in that, in that day. It also happens to be that William Pitt is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God at all. But he's good friends with William Wilberforce. And so Wilberforce, he hears about a preacher that is coming into town by the name of Richard Cecil. And Richard Cecil is a very articulate man. He's able to really explain the scripture in a, in a pretty good way. And so Wilberforce talks to William Pitt and invites him to come. And they go on a Sunday. And that day, Richard, Wil Richard Cecil was his on fire. He was extremely articulate. Wilberforce said that it was one of the best sermons that he had, had preached, and he was really excited about what he heard proclaimed. I mean, he was excited about the word, and so he asked Pitt, he asked him, he goes, what did you think about what Cecil said today? And Pitt's answer to him was, I haven't the slightest idea what the man was talking about. And that's what he, that's what he said. Now, as I already mentioned to you, William Pitt, he didn't reach the position he is by being an unintelligent man. He's a very intelligent man. He is raised up through the era of, of thinking, uh, you know, of those who did inductive thinking, of the age of reason, if you will. So he knows how to reason things out. He knows how to put things together. He knows how to come to a conclusion. But on that day, he has no ears. Pitt does not have ears to hear. He was not interested in any of the secrets of the kingdom. 
He isn't interested in, in trying to understand God or allow God more into his life. He's satisfied with where his life is. He knows where he is, and so he knows he's a politician. He knows that he's almost a genius at being a politician by all a, accounts. So he feels no need for God. In so many ways, William Pitt is like that first seed where the word of God is brought to his ears, but it's hard. And so it bounces off of him. It has no effect whatsoever in his life. On the other hand, you have Wilberforce. And Wilberforce, he is open to listen to what God has to say about him. And when he hears Richard Cecil preach, he is moved. He's excited about what he is hearing. But of course, Pitt, just the opposite of that. Which tells you that there are some people who are going to listen to what God has to say to them. And then, of course, there are those who are not going to listen. It's just going to be a an exercise where they have sound coming into their ears, but there's no penetration that takes place there. And that says something because as you go down through this parable, his disciples are going to come to him and, and they're going to say, listen, why are you speaking in parables? And he's going to give them some reasons for that. But then he's going to talk to them about who, who, what the parables are about because they're listening to the parables, which tells me that those who are listening on that day on that seashore, they're interested in what God has to say to them and they're hanging on the words of, of Jesus. And so Jesus says to him these, these words here. He says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears because they hear. What he's saying to him is that, that he's thankful and that he commends them for having ears that are opened up. They're not allowing just the word just to bounce by them, but they're trying to find out what is, the, what is this about. And so they want to know about the parable, and they want to know what about, about the meaning of the parable. They want to know what it's talking about. So they're opened up to what is there. So then you have the meaning of the parable. So we kind of, you know, quickly reviewed the parable, but what is the meaning of the parable that Jesus gives to them? Well, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 18, Jesus will begin to articulate to them what the parable is about. Look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away so that what has been sown in the heart takes no root. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the, the road. And so as he talks about this, these parables here, he lays out some things for them. And the first thing he tells them is that this seed is directly connected to the word of God. So the seed that he's talking about in the parable is the word of, of God. The farmer or the sower is the person that's proclaiming the word of God. In this case, it's God himself that is proclaiming the word. And the four types of soil, it's going to represent the four types of individuals that are going to be hearing the word and how they respond to it. So the parable becomes a foundation for receiving the kingdom. And it's tied to how receptive we are to the word of God. And in the first case, he talks about an unresponsive hearer and so we look, we look at verse 4 and we get the explanation of verse 4 in verse 19 that I just read to you. And what Jesus does, he says, here is this hard pen. In that day, when you talk about this kind of a parable, it wasn't an unusual kind of, of thing. It was a very familiar sight for those in Galilee to be walking and to see a, a farmer out there sowing seed on the field. And they knew just from experience, that not all the seed falls on good ground. It falls on four different types of, of soil in actuality. 
And in this first parable, or the first part of this parable, he talks about some ground that's hard. So it wasn't unusual in that day, nor is it even today. When I was in Galilee, you could see fields, and fields, they didn't have fences up all over the place. Oftentimes, around the borders of the fields are pathways. Sometimes the pathways go through the fields, and they're hard packed. And the reason why they're hard packed is because a lot of foot traffic, a lot of animal traffic, and their hooves beating down on it. Sometimes it's cartwheels, but it's pounding down the ground, and it's making it hard. So when the sower goes out to cast the seed, the seed falls upon this hard pan, and it bounces off. It doesn't penetrate. The birds sit are able to come and to snatch it away. So Jesus uses this kind of soil to talk about a person that is unresponsive. It illustrates some who hear the word of God, but it makes no penetration whatsoever in their lives. They don't digest it. They don't understand it. They don't appropriate it in their hearts. It's just something, an exercise where they come and they, and they listen. And so the word of God bounces off such a person, just like the seed is bouncing off the hard path. So a person might ask, well, how do I know if I'm that hard path? How do I know if I'm hard ground that the seed is trying to penetrate into? And the answer is, well, well, how are you doing with it? As you listen to the sermon, as you listen to God speaking to you, do you just kind of tune out God? Do you tune out the word? Are you looking at your watch saying, when will this guy be done with? And I can say to you that I'll be done in an hour. <laughs> Actually not, but... But you see what I'm saying to you. And so you know if you're hard panned when you, know, when, when you just don't have an open heart that is willing to receive or be receptive to what God is trying to tell you that would bring forth some from fruit. In this case, Jesus is talking about hearers where it goes in, you know, another vernacular is to go in one ear and out the other or just bounce off the ear. It has no effect whatsoever. And then Jesus talks about a superficial hearer. Verses 5 and 6 is the parable itself, and then verses 20 through 21 is the explanation of the uh, parable. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So he talks about a seed that falls upon the almost like a limestone a soil the soil is very shallow below it is hard pan and the result is is that the seed falls upon that soil it cannot get down deep enough to, to protect itself and when the sun comes out and scorches it well it dies off Th what he's talking about he's talking about the response of one who hears the word when they hear it there is an immediate response it's a quick response but the commitment is something that is shallow. It doesn't go down deep. It's emotional. It can be that of excitement uh, because of a newfound faith, but it doesn't take any kind of root. In other words, the change is all on the surface. It doesn't go deep down in the person. It doesn't go down deep into their heart and change the way they, they do things. And it happens because, well, when the hard part of life comes along and you start finding what it means to really have to count the cost of being a, a Christian, whether it's trial or whether it's tribulation or persecution, whatever it is, the person can't deal with the difficulties that come with being a Christian. And so they simply say to themselves, that's not for me, and they move on. Why? Because the word had not penetrated into their hearts and changed their hearts. The commitment is surface, but not deep down in, inside. 
So it's a superficial kind of, of hearer. And then you have a hearer that is what I would call the worldly hearer. Verse 7 is the parable. Verse 22 is the explanation of that section. Verse 22, and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry in the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So what kind of person is this? Well, it seems to start out really good, doesn't it? Seems as though the word of God goes deep into the person. It seems to be working out really well uh, for them. And, and so it looks like it's doing well in the soil, but maybe not. And the reason is, is because the soil has not been weaned away from the world view. It hasn't been weaned away from the way we look at the world and how we look at life. And so, you know, when the cares and anxieties and the worries of the world start to encroach upon our lives, when we start worrying about our finances, when we start worrying about uh, money, when we start worrying about jobs, and we start worrying about those kinds of things, they begin to come in and choke us out and distractions come along. And what Jesus says is eventually... That, that person cannot make it. Eventually, that plant is going to dry up, and it's going to be choked out, and it's going to die. And he's talking about people now. So understand, we're not talking about plants. We're talking about human beings who have a religious nature about them, who are listening to what God says. It takes a penetration. The roots start to go down. The shoots start to come up, and then the weeds choke it out, and, and, it, and it dies. I got to thinking about that, and I was reading about... Uh, it's called X-Ball. It's paintball tournaments. Guys armor up, and they have a field. On one side is a five-man team. On the other side is a five-man team. And in between are all kinds of obstacles and places to hide. And at the center is a flag that they try to capture. These paintball guns are pretty cool. I haven't tried one yet, but I've thought about it. But these paintball guns can shoot up to 15 to 20 rounds in a minute. That's fast, and they zing right out there, and the object is, is that you're trying to, one, capture the flag, and two, you're trying to kill or hit the enemy, and if you hit one of the guys, then they're out of that part, okay? All along what's going on here, there's a lot of yelling that goes on, so when, when the tournament begins, it's quiet, and then the referee opens the thing up, and then all, everything turns into chaos. Guys are running everywhere, hiding all over the place. Paintballs are whizzing back and forth in all kinds of places. There's all kinds of yelling going on. The coaches are yelling the location of the opponent's team and where they are hiding and what they are doing. So the coach is yelling like crazy. But in paintball, there's something that is different. The crowd really gets into it. So the crowd, who is against the opponent's team, they begin to yell as well. And what they're yelling is misinformation. The coach is saying, here's where the opponents are. The opponent's fans are saying, that's not where they are. There are other places. And when, at first, when you hear this, you think, okay, these guys are cheating. This is so unsportsmanlike. Until you talk to a paintballer, and what they'll say is, well, that is what is called counter-coaching. Counter-coaching. It's allowed. The coach is saying one thing. The fans of the opponents are saying something completely different. And so how do these guys, how are they able to work through that kind of, of chaos? And the answer that the players say is you have to stay focused on your coach. You've got to listen to his voice, and you've got to block out all other distractions. It doesn't matter what the fans are saying. You're listening just for your coach's voice, period. And I got to thinking about that, and that's so much like this parable. 
the parable of the paintball field. And it's the idea of, of distraction. It takes a lot of a focus to listen to God's voice. There'll be plenty of counter-coaching going all, all around us, from Hollywood to music to politicians to our own distracted hearts. All that's going to be happening ar around us. That's part of the game of life. When you become a Christian, we don't have this thing when you, when you say, you know, uh, you know, defense is up. You know, you can't, it's not like Star Wars or, or any of those things. You have to live in life. And there's good coaching that comes from the coach, which comes from Jesus Christ himself. And then there's bad coaching that's going to come from the world that is around us. And so there's only one way to, to counter spiritual counter-coaching, and that is you have to focus in on Jesus. No matter what the world around you is saying to you, you have to focus on what he has to say to us. And if you don't, you'll find yourself in the position of that plant that begins well by putting its roots down, but a lot of counter-coaching is going to come in telling you that it's more important to listen to what the world has to say to you, how to be successful, how to move forward, how to do things right in this life, and they lead you down a path that leads eventually to that of being choked out and you die spiritually. Maybe what we should do is take soil samples. For instance, what good things have the potential to choke your growth as a Christian? What good things? Well, it could be you spend too much time on TV. Maybe you're spending too much time on video games. Maybe you're spending too much time putting on your makeup. Maybe you're put, you see what I'm saying? None of those are bad things. Those can be good things. But if you abuse them, they can, can become bad things where they begin to choke out your spiritual life what worries uh, about bad things could you could choke your growth what do you need to do to free life from those kinds of things and how are you cultivating god's word in your life if the kingdom is directly connected to the word of god if that's the foundation of kingdom living then you got to ask yourself who am i listening the most to what am i thinking about most what am i dwelling on the most and you can answer, I mean, you can give a pretty good answer to yourself of what is going on there. Then there is the receptive here. Verse 8 is the parable. Verse 23 is the explanation of that parable. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. That's what the New Living Translation, that's how they put it. And as you look at that, you can really see what's going on. It says, those that, you know, this person who is going to bear fruit is going to be on good soil. This is the person who truly hears. Not just noise, but it's listening to what God is saying to us. Not only that, but we understand it. We think about what is coming at us, and then it produces in us a fruit. And I'll talk about that here a little bit more here later. Here's the thing when you talk about these, kinds, these four kinds of soil. The man who bears fruit in the good soil, this man is no different from any of the others that have already been talked about. No different than any of the three soils. The seed is scattered in the same way in his heart as it was scattered on the other uh, three. He hears the exact same seed or word as the first soil. He gets excited as the, the second soil. He is one who 
experiences the exact same kind of, of deceits and temptations and trials and difficulties as, in life as did the third soil. But there's a difference, and the difference is this. The difference is the root doesn't stay in his head. The seed doesn't stay in his head. It moves from his head down into his heart, and it makes a change in his life. And he begins to bear fruit. He begins to show a difference in his life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, those become a part of his life that are obvious. A fruit is being born. He truly hears, he understands, and he produces a harvest. So Jesus lays out these four kinds of soils, and he places them before us. And what he's asking his hearers to do is he's asking them, you know, how is this fruit affecting your life? How is it touching your life? How did the first three soils, why were they unproductive, and why was the first one productive? How did the seed become fruitful? And Jesus gives us the answer over in John, the 12th chapter, and verse 24. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And that's the answer. The answer is about dying to self. When the word of God comes into your life and you know that a change is needed to be made, we die to ourselves and we live for, for Christ and we allow him to change us from the inside out. He'll change the way we think. He'll change the way we speak. He'll change the way we act. There'll be a fruit that is produced in our lives. So then the question is, is, well, what kind of receiver are you? Because Jesus is not just saying the parable just because he has a sermon he has to preach. He's talking about this parable because he knows that in his audience, there are four kinds of hearers that are out there. There's four kinds of soils that are out there. And I would submit to you that when it comes down to accepting the kingdom, you're at one of these areas. You're one of these, you're one of these soils. You're one of these kinds of hearers. Or it could be on any given Sunday or any given Wednesday or any given day that you sit down and open up God's word and just read it, you become one of these four soils. You really do, because you, you're going to respond to it. There are some Sundays when you're going to be super opened up to what's being said, and there's other Sundays where you're going to be saying to yourself, I wish you could get this thing over with. You're going to be a different kind of, of here. But the genesis of beginning in the kingdom is you've got to decide, what kind of hearer am I going to, to be? Are you going to become the unresponsive hearer? Are you going to harden yourself? Are you going to harden your mind, harden your ears? Harden your heart and just let the thing bounce off of you or are you going to listen? Because I'm going to tell you, being an unresponsive hearer, that's a choice. You choose whether you're going to hear or not. Just like William Pitt, I'm sure he stood, sat there beside William Wilberforce and listened to Richard Cecil preach and Wilberforce was open to listen and Pitt, I bet he was sitting there saying, I'm not going to listen to a thing this guy's got to say. There's nothing he has to say to me. And so he went away and says, I have no idea what the guy was even talking about even though he was an intelligent person. So our unresponsive hearer makes a choice to hear or not to hear. Or about the superficial hearer. The superficial hearer was the one that you remember, you know, it's a shallow commitment. There's a, a, an initial excitement about it. But then when things start to get a little bit rough and you get challenged about your faith, it kills you off. And so, again, that becomes a choice, whether I'm going to be superficial 
or whether I'm going to try to be responsive. Then, of course, there is the worldly here, where you're worried more about the cares and the anxieties and the things of the world than you are maybe of God trying to make a change in your life, which is going to always be a change for the better, and it's always including the abundant life. Or are you the receptive hearer? Are you listening to what is going on, and is a change taking place? That's the hearers. The next question, next question would be, what kind of fruit are you producing? Are you producing no fruit? Well, a changed heart, an unchanged heart cannot produce fruit. Only a changed heart can produce fruit. So there's no fruit for one who allows the distractions of the world, a person that is unresponsive, a person that is superficial, or a person that is more into the world, trying to you know, be a little bit in the church and out of the church, you know, there's going to be no fruit. Or there's going to be bad fruit. Bad fruit may start off looking pretty good, but then you bite into it and you find that there's worms all over the place. And it's bad stuff. It's rotten stuff. Or it could be a good fruit. And so the good fruit would really be, seriously, when you talk about good fruit, you, you almost have to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is, is love. Can you love all people regardless of who they are? Are you, are you full of joy? Are you full of hope? Are you full of kindness? Are you full of goodness, faithfulness? Are you able to control your, your desires and the temptations that sometimes come at you? What kind of fruit are you bearing? And that's what Jesus is asking these people to do. He's, he's challenging them to think about what they're listening to and what kind of hear they are. He's got a multitude of people that is in front of him. And he knows that there's these four kinds of soils that are there. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to move them from being unresponsive to being responsive, to being those who hear, who have a tender heart, and are able to move forward. So let's wrap the lesson up. In order to, I think, to bear fruit as Christians, all of us in here this morning, including myself, the only way to, to bear fruit, a fruit that are to bear to plant seed and then to bear to bear good fruit is uh, is you got to prepare the soil the reason why the soil the seed that falls on the hard pan doesn't take root is because it's too hard it needs to be softened it needs to be plowed the same way with the rocky soil or the limestone with a very shallow surface that stuff needs to be plowed up so the hard ground must be plowed and broken up. The weeds have to be removed. We're talking about the world that is around us that tries to choke the life out of us. Are there weeds in your life that need to be removed? Rocks that have to be removed from your life. And then the seed is planted. And when the seed is planted, it, well, you have to nourish it. You have to water it and, and nourish it and, and take care of it. And so I have a faith, and you have a faith, and some of our faith goes really deep, and some of our faiths are not as deep, but the seed is there, and so in order to keep the seed flourishing and doing well, is you have to water it, and you got to nourish it and take care of it. Inside our house, you know, we have these potted plants, flower plants, and we usually start off at the season with like five of those things. And now we're down to like one. And so I walked outside the house last night. It's probably been around 10 o'clock. I walked outside and I looked at the moon. Did you see the moon last night, by the way? 
It was, I mean, like almost blood red. It was really a weird looking because of the smoke. Anyway, so we went outside and I turned and I looked at the house and I went, there's only one plant left there. I don't water plants. Lori waters plants. And Lori said to me, it's August. I quit watering them in July. <laughs> so those little plants, they are root bound anyway, and they eventually just die because they're not taken care of. Well, that's how our faith is. If you don't take care of it, You'll be like that plant ends up in a garbage can. Well, when it's done that way, then it can bear some great fruit. And so the parable is, is held up before Jesus hears as a mirror to help them to see where they stood in relationship to receiving a God's word. And in doing so, being receptive to the kingdom. And so this morning, the parable that we just read and we've talked about that's not a parable that was taught 2,000 years ago on the Galilean seashore. That's a parable, or this is a parable that's being taught to you this morning. God has used a human being to read the words of Jesus. And we're asked to think about who we are. We're to ask ourselves, what soil or hearer best describes you? Are you an unresponsive hearer? Are you the superficial hearer? Are you the worldly hearer? Or are you the hearer that is responsive to his word? And then the next question would be this, which hearer or sower do you want to be? Who do you want to be? I know who you are, but who do you want to be? And of course, Jesus' encouragement is that he wants us to be the fourth one. He sees in us good soil, good potential that can do great things in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, what kind of hearer are you? And what is your response to the hearing? Well, together we stand and sing and you think about it.